Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. There's not a more House of L podcast episode than this one. <laughs> if you know anything about why the podcast is called House of L or the emblem that pops up when you are scrolling through your podcast the logo for house of l podcast it is it works two different ways all right i guess technically three different ways and two of them are very comic book centric so it's only right that i have someone on the podcast that knows comic books better than anybody it's not all that we talk about though in the episode by the way uh, thanks for listening to the podcast i appreciate all the support that you give and especially when we do episodes like this one that i think are some of the more interesting ones that we do like obviously we talk to people in media that's what the whole podcast is about but i've I've been expanding the definition of media when I get into some of these subjects. If you go back, I had a really incredible conversation about the propaganda of comic books. And and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, although I guess you could probably take it that way. Back during the summer, I had this incredible interview with Cord Scott, who's a professor. He's a PhD, and his PhD dissertation was all about the propaganda in comic books. And we had this, this really awesome conversation about how comic books have been used in the war effort and everything else. That was a more serious conversation. This is a more fun conversation. My guest this week is one of my favorite people. And and when I see Terry Gant, it, it's hard to miss him with the with the dreads and he, it's hard to hard to miss him because he's in spaces that 
people aren't ordinarily it. I ran up on him at C2E2 a couple years ago in the olden times. And I was just so happy to see him there. And he was giving me like the the different places that I should go inside of the festival and who the creators were that I should be paying attention to and what he was going to do. And I was overwhelmed. Like I, I, I'm overwhelmed by crowds anyway. Like that's become a thing for me over the last, I would say five years. I've been very uncomfortable in crowds. Like my anxiety has gone through the roof. So it's a thing now or in the olden times when we could go out and be parts of crowds to get me to go to a crowded place like C2E2 or even games. Going and sitting at games can be uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. And I'm not going to waste your time for this episode. I'm just saying that seeing him at C2E2 a few years ago gave me some real comfort. He owns a comic book shop and a comic book service. Third Coast Comics on Sheridan Road. I'm telling you, if you want to have an experience in buying your comics, if you want to have someone that's going to give you recommendations based on your personality, like he's not pushing anything because Marvel or DC or whomever or Image like said, you should be reading this. No, he will read everything and intuitively understand who you are after having a conversation with you and give you an idea of what it is that you should be reading. I love talking to him. As you can tell by the length of this episode, I love talking to him. And really, please support his store. I'm telling you, it's right there on Sheridan Road. Right on Loyola's campus. Support his his store. Tell him that you heard him on the podcast. And go in there and be like, all right, Terry, please help me out. Tell me what I should be reading. So in this episode, he and I talk about comic books and how we saw the the world change over the last decade with the Marvel movies. And we also try to fix DC and their movies. But beyond that, and where we start in the conversation is in the, in the arena of the black geek or the black nerd. How does one grow up that way? How do how did Terry get to this point growing up in South Shore? And was it a struggle for him to be as different as he was? How did he find that equilibrium and self-reliance enjoying the things that he liked instead of feeling compelled to like things that he didn't like because of who he is and where he grew up. All of it is fascinating. Terry Gant is the man. I'm telling you, you're going to love this episode, no matter who you are or where you're from, but especially if you're a comic book geek. The president and CEO of Third Coast Comics, Terry Gant. <laughs> 
on House of L. The first thing that might have happened was my parents, uh, we were living in Houston, Texas, and we moved here to permanently settle in Chicago when I was like eight years old, right? And the vibe from Houston to Chicago was already like night and day in terms of like, like I didn't have like a suburban like early childhood. It was a city early childhood, but it was just different. You know what I mean? So step one was like, I was already a kid having to adjust to like Southside Chicago at eight. Then came like, and at that point, I think I was largely like in touch with a lot, with a lot of what was going on that my peers were into up until I might say like around high school. And it's the first time that one of my friends was like, cause comics is easy, right? Like all your friends are reading comics until the day they're not. And the only point in which my friends read comics less than me was the point where they discovered sports and girls before I did, right? So the only reason I ever tried to get good at sports was to keep those friends, right? So I enjoyed learning sports and playing and being good at it, but it, my, my, my love was comics and art and, and other nerd related things. So I stuck with that. But it was the point in high school where one friend was like, Hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna at, at you know whatever period we're gonna get in, in our boy Rob's car and we're gonna go up to Pravda Records. And I was like, oh, we're getting in the car and going to a record store. All right, bet let's do that. Where's the record store? And somebody was like Belmont, and I was like, where the hell's Belmont? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, what? I got in the car though, right? And Pravda Records was this uh spot that was just cool, right? It was um, it was underneath the well, it was attached to the metro back in the day. And I don't know if you ever got up there, right? Because I know we're like, we're similar ages, more or less. I might be a little older, but I think we're similar ages. And, and, but it was like the spot you went if you wanted uh, underground punk and especially industrial music. And at that point was like, I was already entered the space of like, listen, now, you know, you grow up, you listen to the music your parents listen to. But then as you become like a teen or like a preteen, you start to discover your own stuff. And this is the point where I heard something when I walked in that door, I was like, I don't know what that is, but I need to own it, right? And I was trying to find more stuff like whatever I heard at Pravda Records that day. So musically, that's where the the first line of demarcation was. And then one day a friend of mine walked up, this guy named Vince, Vince walked up to me and he was like, hey, you know, what you listening to? And I was like, you know, I'm listening to some, I don't know, I might've been listening to like some early U2 or uh, Fishbone or something like that, early Fishbone and dude was like, Check this out. And he just handed me like Iron Maiden's uh, Power Slave and Somewhere in Time, I think he did. And I, I, I knew nothing about Iron Maiden. And I took those home and listened to them and was hooked. That, from that point on, like metal was my jam. And another guy I knew in high school, you know, I went to CVS and it was like it's a massive school. There's like thousands of kids there. So you're always going to, you know, you won't find people as weird as you, but you'll find people who understand how weird you are. Right put stuff in your hand sometimes. And another kid gave me a good friend of mine at the time, like uh, buddy Johnny gave me uh, a, a tape that had Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning. Right? So there I am in, in one year, I'm getting like Somewhere in Time and 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 some other Iron Maiden now. And then I'm getting Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning by Metallica. Like like the, the period of Metallica you need to listen to if you're ever gonna listen to Metallica, right? Like I'm getting that put in my hands. And I'm also listening to whatever, like, you know, like, Euro, like, kind of new wave stuff is coming out of there. Music videos are not a thing, right? And, and, and I'm discovering that I want to learn to play drums. And I'm still, like, like, my goal is to be a comic book artist someday. I was a weird kid 
but I was a weird kid because like, like I got exposed to some things that were just freaking cool, right? To me, you know what I mean? Like not a lot of other people in my neighborhood were walking around being like, when Slayer making their next album? They didn't care. That wasn't what they were into, right? My sister's 10 years younger than me. And like one Christmas, she got like an LL Cool, uh, LL, uh, cool J tape and a Cool Modi tape so that she could live the beef. Yes, right? I'm right there with her. That was that she was that was beef. my beef as a kid. Right? She did live that beef in real time, and I was like, I, I don't look. I get it. Rap music, hip hop, whatever. I needed anthrax, right? <laughs> whatever. She had a giant boom box that she like like she she would like play this stuff on, and I would like I would just go when my dad would get like new components for his massive like uniblab size like stereo system i would just take his old components and figure out how to hook them up whatever way they, i could in my room i joined the columbia record and tape club to get as many tapes as i could to just like learn music to like get an appreciate deeper appreciation for it um but i just i, I came to hip-hop late my sister was like there on day one you know because she was like you know every neighborhood kid like we grew up like a, i just discovered not that long ago that down the street from Kanye's house. Right. You're right there. Yeah. I know. You know? What did I know? If I'd, if I'd have met Kanye, I'd have been like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Just kept it moving. Like, if Kanye wasn't talking about, like, you know, dueling guitar solos and, you know, <laughs> playing things in 5-4 or 7-5, I don't know, like, whatever. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, and I, I tell this story all the time because it makes me laugh. Um... I go to my parents' house. Me and you know, me and my brother at this point, you know, our parents are retired. We we find stuff occasionally in the house. We find <laughs> invitations to the Grammys. Like oh. two two thousand four, I want to say, we find an invitation to the Grammys. Now my brother is actually a Grammy voter, so okay. so we're like, that's weird that our father would have. Grammy <laughs> invitations that specifically 2004. So you didn't find like a string of six invitations he didn't use. Yeah, specifically then 2004. And okay. um, so we're like, so what's this about? Why do you have this? And he's like, oh, um, Donda's kid got nominated for a Grammy. He said Donda's kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, how do you know Donda? Who, wait, who is this Donda that you know? Because I know of a Donda. Now, how the hell do you know of this Donda? So, get this. Donda, Dr. Donda, was my dad's boss at Chicago State. <laughs> like, she ran the English department at Chicago State, and my dad was a professor there. And they were, like, good friends. So... Me and my brother, and, you know, my brother is very well known in, like, the house music scene in Chicago, and and he's just like, so were you ever going to tell us this, or he's like, I don't know, you know, because my dad is like, is like that. Like, he's just kind of, like. Donda, my former boss, her kid makes music. Right. He's been making music for a while, but I got a kid who makes music. Correct. Whatever. Correct. I'm sure that's how he did it. Like, he's like, oh, well, you know, my son makes music too, so it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, man, like that, there's something. 
My sons are. I got two sons who are people in this town. <laughs> well, right. The Dr. Donda should be asking me for some tickets. Yeah. Okay. That's the way it should be. But you said something else that really struck a chord with me. And I struggled with this, and I thought I was alone. I'm very glad to hear that I'm not. We grew up in Roseland, okay? Okay. And then when I got to high school, my brother went to Mendel. Then Mendel closed. That's probably where I was going to go, but it closed the year before I left eighth grade. My parents had decided that we were just going to go out to the burbs. So I ended up going to HF. So my whole life is south. It's south, south, south. I got to DePaul, and I remember struggling for a couple of days when I got to Lincoln Park because I was like, why do the numbers go in the opposite direction? It messed me up. And I'm like, it's so weird, like, how small your world is. So when you're talking about someone saying Belmont and you being like, what's that? I was the same way. Like, I even now, like, I, I'm, I've made it a point to make some more time to explore neighborhoods that are north right. these, these past two summers because it, I, I don't think that I have a really great sense of the north side even now. And it's so weird for those of us that grew up south, especially south of Hyde Park. You really don't have a lot of opportunities to go up north. If you're a weird kid or you're a kid into something slightly left of center, if you if you were growing up in South Shore, the two places that, that people expected you to go if you just wanted to like get out of the neighborhood, right? Were High Park and the Loop. Right? Yeah. That wasn't High Park in the or the Loop was basically like there there be dragons. And I remember when I told my mother where I'd been and part of where I've been was because the next step is, um, remember, I'm also a comic book collector, right? So at a certain point in time in, in the comics industry, we create this thing called the direct market, which meant that if you grew up reading comics in, from Walgreens or from Woolworths or from- Crocs and Brentanos, that's where I used to get mine. From any newsstand in the city, you'd be able to get comics, right? But all of a sudden, comics folks decided and, and, and got together with distributors and we're like, we're only going to get comics from distributors. We'll let comic book distributors handle distribution, which cut everybody who was on a comic shop out of the chain. One day on, on a, just to illustrate this point, on, a, on, Google, on Google Maps, I made uh, a map of all the places that I went from like 1977 to like 1987 to buy comics all over our own neighborhood, right? I had nine or 10 places I can get comics from because everybody wouldn't buy the same comics. You, it was like a, it was a treasure hunt every month, but when the direct market happened, I needed to actually find a real live comic shop, and I only really knew of, I found two really at the time. It was one spot out in Evergreen Park, right? That was uh, Amazing Fantasy at the time. Now they're called All American, and Larry's Comic Shop, which is up here, uh, not that far from where I'm at now, which well around the corner from my actual comic shop on Devon and Sheridan, right? Devon and Broadway. And the trick here was I had to tell my mom kind of where I'd been because I needed a. a she was an adult, right? So I'm not even telling her, check out this grand adventure I was on. Mostly what I'm explaining, what I'm saying is, Ma, I've been to the North Side. I went to this record store. It was great. Now I need to find some comic shops. So I know there's comic book stores. Like, I got to find all the comic shops in the city. How do you, how do you navigate this? You know, if, when you only got, I only have like one friend with a car and he wasn't really like the dude I should be hanging out with. Uh. You know what I mean? 
when you're like, hey, I'm going out with Rob, we're going to draft to my parents would be like, wait, whatever, who, oh no, not that guy, right? So since that was the issue, it was like, well, all right, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this on the train and the buses. My mom was like, wait, you, you went, okay, first of all, they have no numbers up there. It's all just street names. Right. Right? She, she explained the grid pattern, but was like, it's just horrible. <laughs> because they're, they're, here we have a 74th street. They don't have a 74th street. They just have names in every direction, right? And everybody up there is crazy, she said, right? And I was like, I'm, I have to risk that. I got to get my stuff. So <laughs> these comics, right? I got to get my weird, my damn music. You guys think is so weird, which is funny. They thought my musical taste was weird, except that my dad, he was a huge, like a lot of black dads, right? In the seventies, huge collector of vinyl, right? And the way my mother would tell it, his collection was all full of Earth, Wind, and Fire, and and, and Smokey Robinson, and you know, like 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 Shaka Khan. But no, it was not. It was also full of the Beatles. It, it was. I, I discovered Queen in his vinyl collection. I bet the Carpenters were in there too. Led Zeppelin was in there, right? Here's what happened. I had an uncle explain that to this to me one day. Okay. Like, I'm listening to music, like, and my uncle would he would walk in every so often just to, like check up on and I'm trying to see where your head's at, what you into, and I would tell him or whatever. And then at one point he's like, "You you listen to any like any black artists?" And I was like, I do listen to black artists. I just listen to a lot of black rock music, right? But what I, that made me ask, what is the big, why did it become this? I'm learning that the blues is where all this started. What's the issue here? Why, if the blues is where all this started, and all of you got Jimi Hendrix in your vinyl collection, what happened to where I'm the weird one listening to rock music now? And his response was, yeah, we all left rock alone when Jimmy died. That's so interesting. You know what I mean? Like it, like like as if Jimmy, as Jimmy Hendrix was the banner carrier for like people having like freedom of expression and freedom of soul, etc. And his death made everyone circle the wagons in, in sort of a way. You know what I mean? And therefore, from that point on, they all lost touch with other ways of expressing yourself through music, through blues-based music. You know what I mean? And and that's the way that was put to me. And I was like, oh. I can actually see that. I can see that. Because it, it, right now we can really explain what, you know, why hip hop is so, what the line was that made hip hop different from where it was. You know what I mean? Like it, you, you can't say Biggie and, and, and Pac died. Like I wouldn't say that's the line, right? Cause we still had Jay after that. You know what I mean? It's so funny to me too. Like you're right about like the origins of it and, whether we're talking about music from the Delta and what that spawns or Billy Preston and how, how important Billy Preston was to the Beatles. We're seeing that in this recent documentary or, or if we're talking about little Richard and his influence and clearly all of this stuff that was black music and then there being a splinter and black music going in different directions and rock music going in another direction with with white facing uh faces on top of the the genre right. meanwhile there is bad brains fishbone you know what i mean like it's 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 yeah. such a strange 
delineation where that becomes the outsider version of the music, even though its origins are as real and as truthful as any of the soul groups that came out in the 70s and 80s. Don't you imagine if somewhere, someone someday is going to do a documentary about the day that a bunch of white guys in bad suits with, with comb over went to like a holiday inn and had a meeting, and then they had just agreed, kind of like you know the old like the, the the old jokes about like how 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 decisions just get made, and you guys get this and we get that, and everybody shakes hands and walk away, you know, like okay, well black people will get R and B, you know, and 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 white people will get rock music, and we're just gonna like we're gonna shake hands on Bobby Caldwell and Michael McDermott's fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> We just won't say anything, you know. With Stevie Dan, we're gonna Stevie Stevie Dan's gonna get a pass, right? You know what I mean? But like, some, sometimes it's gonna be a thing that's gonna make you raise an eyebrow. You just gonna have to ignore that, right? You know. I remember hearing Steely Dan on GCI as a kid. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because brothers back then didn't care what color the artists were; they wanted it to jam, right? If the, if it moved the party, they were listening to it. Because that's entirely why it was Queen was popular on the South Side. Yep. You know? Because We Will Rock You rocked a lot of damn people. Yep. You know? Like, this is this GCI would play Stevie Dan because, look, I, I heard an interview with Donald Fagan once where the, the way he met uh, Walter, uh, Walter Benson, he said it was, they were in upstate, upstate New York, walking down the street or something to that effect, and, like, he heard, he knew somebody was playing guitar, he was so damn good, he had followed us down. He's following us down. He's into a building, and he walks up the stairs. He goes into this, this room where this guy is just killing it. And he looks at the guy, and he said, I could have sworn a black guy was there. Mm. Like, he's thinking he's about to meet the best unknown session musician, right, <laughs> from Detroit, but, like, now staying in High Falls, New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> That is not what he finds, and and that's that's it. And like a lot of people, when it's when it's about like how music is composed, what it's comprised of, right? That transcends race pretty damn easy. The only thing that doesn't really transcend race is the record business. Mm. You know, once the business is involved, now we got to keep you know to some kind of image, or we got to keep some myth going, right? And that just makes it harder. Like it's hard for people. It's for a band like King's X, right? Like, I discovered King's X in like 1987, 88, something like that, um, with a song called Over My Head. It had a lot of MTV radio play. And this, the lead singer and bass player, Doug Pennick, this dude had this massive mohawk. He looked like if Jimmy was reincarnated as a badass, like more of a badass than Jimmy already was, it's this dude, right? And he's from Joliet. Like, they're, they're a band out of Texas. But I think Doug's actually born in Joliet. I think his family still lives here. And when I discovered this band, I was this sound is practically timeless. You know what I mean? Like they, it is, it is an old school '60s. The three part harmonies. You can tell they're influenced by the Beatles, but you can also tell, like they they heard Parliament before there was a Funkadelic. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like Parliament Funkadelic is different than Parliament. Without Funkadelic. Parliament without Funkadelic is a black rock band. Right? But they were just Parliament. Like, Red Hot Mama from Louisiana is a jam. Right? And you wouldn't think these are the same dudes that are going to do, but this is three boots. Right? What an amazing band they were. 
right? And you can tell these guys knew it. And if you see them today and you, you hit their Wikipedia, I read something that said Doug Pinnock, like, recorded his first album in, like, you know, or did it, he had some kind of session gig. It's like he was a working musician in 1969, is the point here, right? A working musician in 1969. This man has got to be 75 years old. He looks like he's 48, right? And all I could think about was I discovered a band in 1988 of dudes who I thought was my age or slightly older, but the dude singing and playing bass that I'm looking at got a working gig the year I was born. That's insane. So what it's saying is it is hard for you to make music if you're going to fight the record industry you know, in order to get put on, right? And it's not just, you're not a good enough rapper, you're not a good enough guitar player, you're not a good enough drummer, you're not a good enough teacher. It is that the industry is designed the way to make sure that it only perpetuates itself, right? You've got to do something so wild sometimes to get noticed, to stand out, right? So wild that you can't just be good because it, it will take forever if you're just good. <laughs> What's you know? the what's the best concert that you've been to? Uh, well, I'm a huge Dream Theater fan, so it's like my my main area of musical focus is prog metal, and I I don't know if I've ever seen more musicianship outside of a jazz show than I've seen at any at any given Dream Theater show. But I've also been to some amazing Iron Maiden concerts. I I um I don't do festivals. I can't I can't stand. I love music. But I, like, there's a lot of things I love where I just don't love the fans of it. <laughs> so uh, I don't do a lot of festivals. But for shows, there was one year that I saw, like, basically just out of high school, where I saw Ministry and KMFDM at the Metro. And that was the first time I'd ever seen stage divers running from the back of the stage at the start of the show doing front flips into the crowd where I was standing. That was amazing. And Fishbone will never let you down. You get a chance to see Fishbone live, you will see things you never thought you were going to see in the show. And it's all musical, right? No one's got to set anybody on fire or anything, but you're going to walk out of there drenched your sweat and other people's, you know? Like, I, I go to see shows of bands who play music that I hear, and I often leave myself wondering, how did they play that, right? And those end up being shows like this. How did they do, like, I don't just want them to recreate the album on stage. I want to be able to see how a guitarist is, is forming a particular chord. I want to see how he, where that like where that sweep happens in that solo, I want to be able to see it happen live. That kind of thing. That's what makes me go to shows when I go, right? And and a lot of the bands that I go see are bands that like to my ear have done something incredible that I can't believe just happened. And so I'm amazed at almost every damn show I go to. Yeah. I, I want to go back to your sister and hip hop, and I promise then we'll get into comics, but. I wonder when we started to see like legit mashups of harder rock and hip hop. Were you were you in or were you out? The first time I remember it being something I could respect was Public Enemy and Anthem. Like yeah, that, that was that was the day where it happened where I was like, ha, record industry probably hated every bit of this, right? You know, those two bands getting together and doing Bring the Noise was incredible, you know, was just incredible. And then a couple of years later, I started seeing all kinds of bands inside because they have DJs in them. They weren't necessarily good, but like, whatever. Like, you get, I get how labels 
try to jump onto something, but like rage against the machine, you know, like that eventually comes up and hell, I remember being in a band, I was in a band and we had a show and after the show, we'd gone to a bar in uh, Old Town called Isn't there anymore, because nothing's there anymore. Nothing's anywhere it used to be anymore. And they were playing something, they were playing a bomb track. They were, actually, they were playing the entire first album of Rage Against the Machine. I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, I, I assumed it was a local band because I couldn't imagine it was actually a band that was signed that was coming that hard with it while also being that much of a rock band, like in both a hip hop and a rock concept. I just couldn't believe that was a real thing that was really happening. And it was amazing, you know, the, the, the talent. But the, the first time where I really felt like this this matters, like somebody has actually like wiped away color lines and they were just gonna like make a thing happen together was that moment. A lot of people would say like, you know, that, that run DMC Aerosmith joint. Yeah, but that's but what I, I was saying. Like, like, yeah, like obviously like that's a a, a royalty in hip hop and a royalty in rock rock music. But yeah. even with even then you knew that it wasn't the edge of the industry you know and run dmc when you listen to that song you can imagine diddy making it in his living room without aerosmith or run dmc being present right you know like <laughs> when i when i heard bring the noise i knew that two bands got together and made a thing happen and it wasn't easy for them but they made it happen you know what i mean like it wasn't smooth right it wasn't like it wasn't a pure hip hop track and it wasn't a pure metal track. It was two two different groups with a similar message, a similar outlook, right? From similar places, even if they're very different places, similar. They're both New York bands, right? They had that whole New York thing going. And they were both outsider bands in their in their community, right? Like was, there wasn't, you know, like by the time public enemy is really breaking, there's a whole lot of NWAs coming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anthrax was not seen as the same, they're considered one of the big four metal bands, right? Like with, uh, with Megadeth, Metallica, and Slayer. But they their temperament wasn't the same as those bands. Like, it wasn't cool to, to have fun while playing. You, you know what I mean? You were supposed to be all aggressive and aggro every time. You were supposed to be, like, like pissed off at the world and want to burn it all down, you know? But that wasn't Anthrax's vibe. Anthrax was thrilled. Whenever you saw them, they were happy to be there. And that wasn't cool, you know? So both of those bands to pull that off felt to me like, holy hell, this is this is amazing, you know. And anytime I've seen like um, things like, you ever see the movie Judgment Night? Yeah, I w- that's what I was thinking. Like in my mind, I was thinking about the Judgment Night soundtrack. Judgment Night soundtrack, amazing, amazing. It's the only reason like people people reference Booyah Tribe, and I know it's because of the Judgment Night soundtrack. <laughs> You're right about that. <laughs> You 100% right about that. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's let's get into the comic aspect of, of your world. Yeah. What's the who's the character that brought you in and, and got you into this world? For me it was it was Captain America. Who was it for you? Uh, it wasn't a single character. It was the fact that my my, my mom was super cheap and she threw nickels like manhole covers, you know, as, as Uncle Terry used to say. Um <laughs> I missed that dude, man. Me too. He's a good man. I, I emailed with him a couple weeks ago. He's doing well. <laughs> I use that all the time. But that's how my mom was, right? She was tighter than a gnat's ass in a lemon wig. So if I needed a dollar to go buy five, four comics or whatever, she was like, what do you need a whole dollar for? You know, comic books should cost 12 cents. No, they cost a quarter. Yeah. So whenever she gave me money, I would basically go to wherever I was getting my comics from and look, at, look for comics that had the most characters possible. So I was getting more bang for my buck. Right. You know, and and it was one of those uh, uh, situations where I discovered the Avengers and the Justice League and the, uh, the, the All Star Squadron, like all these comics that had like, you know, the, it was like the Fantastic Four had four members. The Justice League would have, you know, eight. But the Avengers would have seven. Like it would go like that. The Defenders had a constant rotating cast of characters. But when I got to the Legion of Superheroes, there were 23 members. And I knew that's where I was going to be. Like that's that was my jam. Right. The Legion of Superheroes kept me engaged because someone found a way to tell compelling stories with a superhero team that had 23 members. Every member wouldn't appear in every issue. So it was kind of like a rotating cast, you know what I mean? You knew there were 23 members, but you were only really dealing with six or so at a time. And they all had different, distinct stories happening. Like the X-Men did the same way. There were a million people running around that mansion, but they found a way to focus on like, you know, nine characters, but at different times, right? Everything wouldn't be about Wolverine every issue back. That's all about all Wolverine all the time. But it wasn't like that all the time. And that's what made it really interesting. So I was drawn in by comics that just had multiple characters. You gave me a Spider-Man comic. All right, great, I get Spider-Man's drama. But what I want to know is who does Spider-Man know, right? Who does Spider-Man hang out with? If just himself, this is why he's so damn depressed. Like, I couldn't stand it. I didn't like it, you know. But team comics is where I was. Do you think that... In your dreams of, of watching or reading comics, do you think that from a mass produce, I'm talking about the big budget Marvel and DC worlds here, because I know there's been incredible like animation stuff that in some cases has been closer to what I had imagined things would look like in the future, but do you think that they got it, they were able to tap into our imagination with, some of the characters and show them in a way that as we were kids, we were hoping that they would be. And, and the reason I bring it up is this. I think about Iron Man, the, the first Iron Man movie. And I'm going, you know what? This, this is kind of how I would have wanted it to look. I think it's, that's part of the reason it was able to reach all of us. Like all of the, the fanboy, fangirl, people were like, wow, this doesn't look like 
what happened 15 years ago when they let David Hasselhoff make a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie and it looked ridiculous where you're like, oh, Lisa Renna is Maria Hill? Fine, sure, yeah, we'll totally believe that. Iron Man 1, I thought, did something that was going to be impossible for us. And that's put the stuff that we had in our minds on the screen. Okay, so I'll disagree. Okay. But I'll disagree in the sense that when Iron Man 1 happened, a huge event, right? It, It mattered that now there was a big budget, major comic book character on the screen. My disagreement is it wasn't the way I envisioned Iron Man being because the Iron Man that I grew up with was more of a James Bond with a suit of armor, right? He wasn't Robert Downey Jr. so much as the Iron Man we'd always been sort of shown was probably more Pierce Brosnan, right? So I didn't get the Iron Man that I expected my entire life growing up, but what I got was something different. What I got was, and this is the one thing I think that they got right, they've been able to produce a product with actors and actresses, whatever, you know, directors and cinematographers and visions of, of these kind of properties in a way that people who would have laughed at us, we were trying to get them to read these stories. They would have never done it, right? They would have never done it. I'm not even saying that these people were ever big readers to begin with, but they wouldn't have read these comics. They found a way to create characters that engage those people, right? And I'll give them credit for that. So it wasn't the Iron Man or even the Captain America that the way I saw Captain America and the way I saw Iron Man, it, even the way I saw Hawkeye, none of these characters were what I grew up reading in comics. It wasn't those versions. And I wasn't, a, and I'm not a huge stickler for give me the comic story and make it right. But I understood pretty quickly there's only one way that you can sort of put a lot of butts in seats in a case like this. And you've got to make these characters something that the majority of the people can agree is interesting. Even if you're now deviating from the source material. All I ever want is for you to give respect to the source material, right? Instead of pretending that the source material is something you're embarrassed by. That's my problem that I have with the entire like Marvel Cinematic Universe phenomena. They are so embarrassed by the source material. They're trying to get, they want to get as far away from it as possible, right? But in terms of what I thought I would get, like, I never thought I was going to get more than, you know, that Hasselhoff movie. I never thought I'd get uh, a Nick Fury who's, like, when, when Samuel Jackson shows up the first time on screen at the end of Iron Man, a third of the audience flipped out because we read the Ultimates comics. Right. The other two-thirds of the audience had, had no clue what was happening right there. And for the next five years of Marvel movies, would often have no clue what's happening, right? They didn't get it. They didn't know, right? But eventually... They bought into it, right? And that, to me, is what comics actually does. Comics convinces you this character you've never met before is a great character. All you have to do is stick around and, and go on that journey with us, and you'll discover that Kyle Rand is a fantastic character. You'll discover Wally West, Wally West is a fantastic character. You'll discover like Firestorm or Wolverine were both breakout characters of the 80s. You know what I mean? Like You, you can learn that a character you knew nothing about, if you just give him a chance, can amaze you how good a character and, and the MCU's been able to pull that off. DC's extended universe, or whatever the hell they're calling that, is a different issue because there's just too many suits. Too many suits, too many people with their hands out. No one's actually interested in creating, purely creating something great so much as it is a cash grab, and, and it feels like a cash grab. So, you know, I mean, that's different. 
you're very much right on the idea of I can't imagine handing someone my copy of Infinity Gauntlet and them reading it. But, you know, they've spent the last six years of their lives following the Infinity Gauntlet. Ten plus years. Absolutely. 100%. They would have never read it. Never read it. And then, like, you'll go, you'll, you'll take, you and your wife will go to a party where somebody she went to high school with, and some dude will corner you where you're trying to grab a beer, and you just, all you want is drink this red stripe, but this guy's got to be like, hey, listen, um, hey, man, can I ask you a question, bro? And you think he's going to ask you a question about, like, you know, Cubs, the Cubs and, and the salary cap, and, and, you know, how, how good, how good, really, really, what's Hobby's problem with the curve, right? You think he's going to ask you that, but no, he ain't going to ask you that at all. He's going to be like, hey, so, um, Look, uh, so I know that people are saying that in that Guardians of the Galaxy movie, when they were at that place where Jeff Goldblum is, they're saying that something very important. There was like a big, there's a big, like, some kind of refrigerator looking thing. And there's something really important inside the refrigerator. My buddies at work are telling me it's really important, but I don't, it's just a refrigerator thing, right? Isn't it? Right? And I got to, you know, this happened to me. <laughs> I got obsessed. Do I want to explain Adam Warlock? Right? Do I want to explain that right now? Or not? You know, and a lot of it is, oh man, speculation. And I, I don't really know, and I don't read reviews, and I don't go on fan sites and catch all these theories and things, because I'm the dude who likes to go to the movie, to let the movie wash over me and let it happen. My reveals happen in real time, right? But in this new fandom, these dudes need to know. They're hooked now. They got to know. You know? Can I've we can we argue over Thanos versus Darkseid? They're not arguing who's better, who's tougher. They're arguing over which one they saw in what movie, and they just have it wrong. They have, they have it mixed up, right? But the, the literal debates are happening over who was in what. Like, it's that thing. I want us to see if we can fix DC. Okay. Here's the reason why. Okay. I, I am often called a DC hater, and it's not true. Like... Cap was my guy growing up, but Green Lantern became like my creed. Like that was my whole thing. And you grew up watching the cartoon? What's that? Did you grow up watching the JLU cartoon? No. I, I all I did, I, I didn't start watching the 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 cartoons until adulthood. Okay. But I but I loved the books. I always loved the books. I love the, the concept of it. I love the 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 idea of willpower and imagination, the combination of that, you're powering a, 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 a lantern ring. I feel like they got Green Lantern in the movie so wrong that DC has kind of been like, you know what? We can't do the visuals, so let's give up on the entire universe of, of the Lantern Corps. And they've been living it down instead of figuring out, like, why did we get this wrong? How can we attack it again and make it better? They seem so... They're they're so entrenched in, we're going to give you Batman multiple times, Superman multiple times, Wonder Woman. They won't get away from the Holy Trinity. And I think that there are so many good stories in DC that are worth the big screen stuff. The little screen stuff I actually don't have a problem with. I think they do a decent job with it. And the animated stuff I think is great. Why can't they get that part right? 
Okay, Here's the, I'm gonna ask you a question. What's the name of the, the person who is in charge of everything that happens in Marvel's movies? What's the name of that guy? Kevin Feige. What's the name of the guy who gets everything and makes all the decisions for what happens in DC movies? I have no idea. That's your answer. That's why. Because Kevin Feige, um, he, he uh, is in charge. He made people love a, a raccoon and a, talk, and a tree, right? He made people think the raccoon and the tree were important. It wasn't even Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America anymore. He got it to the point where it was a loser in space, a tree, and a raccoon. Over at Warner Brothers, <laughs> the problem they have is there's no one person with one vision, right? That can that can plant a stake, right? And then tell radiating stories out. Like, like, like some some characters are the hub, right? The Holy Trinity are the hub, but there's spokes that go out. It's the same over at Marvel. This is exactly how comic books work in general. No one person, there's nobody has told Ava DuVernay, go nuts. You have all of it, right? No one's pay, given Christopher Nolan a big enough bag, right? Go nuts, you can do all of them. You know, you give the right person a big enough bag and they take it on and they're not leaving, right? No one, no one has done this with any of these people. Instead, every time something is optioned or we have to go back into the, 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 the box of, of ideas because we don't want to lose the rights, we don't want rights to revert, right? Every time that happens, it's a new person's vision you're about to get. You're about to get a, a new, another person giving you a Batman story because since there's no one person in charge, the room full of suits have decided we can just kind of keep, we're not even recycling it. They spin the wheel of Batman, right? It's spinning the wheel of Batman. This one, the new one's coming up. It's basically going to be kind of like a sort of year one-ish story where the bat symbol on his chest is made from the guns that killed his parents. What in the hell? Oh. Right? But that's what we're getting because there's no one person who you can go to and be like, hey, really, Scott, here's the bag, right? Go nuts. So whoever you want to name. Like, I'm just naming random ass. Sure. People. I don't necessarily want to run the entire DC universe, but there are people, because no one knew who this dude was before he, when he did this, when he started the Marvel thing, right? And in fact, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't become a Marvel Cinematic Universe until that dude gets the other dude out of the joint, right? There was a whole situation. We had to push this other man up out of there who was kind of a crazy person and not suited for the job at all. And once he had the seat to himself, he could put his team together and go to work telling a story, right? That's what I'm saying. No, no, one, is, no one has come, away, come up with a way over at Warner, right? Or AT&T or whoever actually owns it these days. No one is going over to those dudes and saying, you're the one, take the bag. You can keep the best elements of what we've produced so far and dump everything else, right? Because when I saw that, that 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 Zack Snyder cut, I thought to myself, the only reason this doesn't actually work, and it's not that it's four hours long, that's not the problem. The only reason that doesn't work is that is the one time, the one time in which I was watching a movie in this, this era of DC movies, this one time where I watched a movie where suddenly the director actually understands what these characters are about and where the heart of the situation is and how to tell a story. The trouble is, He's got a four or five hour movie on his hands and we're already so far down the bad movie rabbit hole that even if he never left the project, this was doomed. 
you can't have your Green Lantern until one person is in charge and can make that vision work with whatever Batman's got going on, with whatever Superman's got going on, with whatever Orion and the New Gods get going on, because now, you know, uh, Ava DuVernay's New Gods is on hiatus, on hold or whatever. And I was looking really forward to that. Me too. Like, there's so many characters. And, it, and, and it's not... I talk to people and they'll say things like, yeah, but I don't really know any DC characters. And I would say, well, stop pretending you knew the Vision of One. You didn't know them. You know? You didn't know any of these characters. You didn't know anybody. You knew Black Panther was somebody. You knew Thor, Iron Man, and Hulk was somebody. You didn't know Hawkeye and Black Widow, right? You, you accepted these characters because you really liked this product. You probably didn't know who Winter Soldier was. No damn idea. No clue. And that's the best damn Marvel movie they made because they found, they actually made a movie where if nobody had superpowers, you'd have had a great movie. I agree with that. I, I keep thinking about like, in like the Batman, like let's, even if we stay in, in the Batman universe, there's great stories inside there. Like yes. the Jason Todd stuff. And, and it makes me mad because like the animated stuff is terrific. And it's yeah. like, you have a template. Yep. Go make the live action version of it. It's like no one even wants to go over to the animation side and put those guys in charge of the movie side, right? Because all the animation dudes did was tell the story, right? That's all they did, tell the story. They got all the product placement people out of the way. They got all the various egos of people out of the way. They went in and they told the damn story. Right. And they know they only got 90 minutes or two hours to do it. Right. Like, you know, like it ain't like they got three or four of these films that have to be butted up back to back to back necessarily. And in the their animated universe, they don't even all connect. Right. Right. But they're all universally good. You know, the things they're capable of pulling off over there. But it's like you got to keep the animation people away from the movie people. The movie people are the real filmmakers. Right. The animation people just make cartoons. So as long as you have that kind of schism in your in your shop. You're never going to get the right people in the right spots. You know, and what we're at a time now where it's hard to envision someone other than Henry Cavill being Superman. So why are you squandering it? You know, like, like as a Bears fan, it's hard to envision a, a Super Bowl bound Bears team that doesn't have Khalil Mack. So why are you wasting Khalil Mack's best years? Yeah, man, they, they will end <laughs> up wasting them all. That is Every single one of them, right? <laughs> definitely a thing that is happening with them. <laughs> It's happening. That that's why you can't get the the DC shine you think that they deserve. I agree with you, but you watch like a, a DC show, like one of those some of those WB shows or whatever, and for the first couple seasons they all kind of hit them out of the park. Yep, you know they kind of nail it. They they understand that the Flash doesn't need to be as dark as Nolan's Batman, right? That's that's how it's supposed to be. The characters are different characters who come together, right? We don't need Zack Snyder to give us the, the deepest, darkest, dankest Wonder Woman he could possibly come up with. Not necessary, right? Aquaman doesn't need to be that, right? I don't, have to have a, I don't have to have a brooding superhero that that superhero might have a life that they enjoy and they can smile a little bit about things. And every, every super team that's ever been worth reading has had one brooding superhero. They have not had six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one guy being the brooding guy is okay. That's fine, right? The other seven guys 
can't be that way. You know, what is that? Who wants to do? Nah, man. Nah. Any, any, any bar on any bear Sunday after the first quarter of these days would be that, right? You don't need that. You know, someone has to be happy to be here. You know, that, that's, that's how it has to be. They don't, they don't do it like that over there because there isn't one guy in charge. One person. What made, what made you say, and what are we talking about? Like 16, 17 years that you've owned a comic book store? Yeah, I opened as a brick and mortar. I opened in 2008. Uh, before that, in 2005. You were delivering, right? Like you were. Online shop where I could, if you, if you bought them from the eBay store, I would ship it to you wherever, right? It's like that was just graphic novels. That wasn't even like floppies. But if you wanted a floppy so a subscription of monthly comics, I would deliver as long as you lived within uh, two miles of my office downtown at DePaul or my house here. Yeah, where I live. What made you say that this was something that you wanted to do? It was more like um, there was no way where I could have grown the model I had without trying a brick and mortar. Right? Like, without more money coming in, how do you how do you really like? What's your next step? There's from from hey buy these books on eBay to becoming Amazon.com. There's an intermediate step that I knew nothing about, right? And I knew I couldn't just without some large influx of money and somebody showing me what's up. That's a hard move to make, but possibly an easier move to decide that I hate chasing people down for money. And if I had a brick and mortar shop, they can come buy these books and just give me the money immediately. Right. And that, that's a much better model, right? And then there was so much else going on in comics that wasn't quite, comics was missing a lot of what we would call, we term it now social, right? Like there's a lot of social in comics that was kind of burgeoning back in 07, 08, that it was just missing the point on, right? And I kept finding the reason why I'm meeting people in bars and at parties who are becoming my delivery customers is they're telling me that they don't want to walk into a comic shop, right? By the time I opened as a brick and mortar, I had like maybe a hundred customers. Half of them were women who were not attached to men who read comics. And those women weren't going to walk into a comic shop. They'd all had a bad experience. We're talking about like, we're definitely adults by the time we get to like 2008, right? So we're talking about people who had been in comic shops between, I'm going to say, 1992 and 2002 and had a bad experience. And here they wanted to catch up on the X-Men. They wanted Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? So they didn't want something where it was overtly a chick protagonist, and they didn't necessarily want something that was like, I'm a comic for feminists, right? They wanted comics that were comics. They grew up on Sandman. They grew up on the JLU cartoons. They were watching all the stuff that you would think that nerds in general are watching, but comics they just couldn't do because comic shops were unfriendly to anyone who wasn't like kind of a suburban white, you know? And, and what I kept getting was like this, 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 this comment that was kind of like, if there were a comic shop that was more like you the person, right? That's the place I would go. Because I can talk to anybody about comics, right? So when I realized I am talking to anybody about comics and all that's missing is a place where they can legit, something that isn't uh, uh, giving off that vibe of like you walk into somebody's clubhouse or a 15 year old boy's bedroom, create that thing and, and, and you should do all right. And that's kind of what happened. And one of the ways in which I figured out which, you know, I had to like get a vibe for that. So I started going to comic shops myself. Cause you know, as a dude, you walk into a space dominated by dudes, you don't always think something off, right? You're you're there. You're you're represented already. You know what I mean? Like they, when you walk in the door, they say your name. You know, Lawrence. 
right? You don't know what conversation might have just been happening before you walked in the door. And you, you just know that when you're there, they treat you like they treat you, right? Mm-hmm. So I walking in with my wife in the various comic shops, right? And not even telling her, I just go to a ton of comic shops, walk in, bring my wife with me. And what I would do is I would just time her. I would time her, right? If she was like, after five minutes or so, she was like, eh, are you done yet? I would take notice. But if it took her about 20 minutes to be like, are you done yet? I would take notice of that. What I realized was all the spots that she was cool spending more time in had a different vibe than the other joints, right? And I was like, okay, this is what it is. I took note of what those differences were and set out to build the kind of space where everyone feels like they can just they can chill for 20 minutes, figure out what they're going to do. They're not being rushed out the door. They're, they're not being othered, right? Nothing's happening in that space that makes them feel like they don't belong there. It, for as deep a collector as they are, or for being a complete noob walking into it, right? How do you create that space? And that's what I set out to do. And in 08, I found a spot where I thought I could pull it off at Edgewater. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do ever since, right? Because now, what have you seen? You've seen, like, what, so many years of Marvel movies and the Marvels, uh, uh, they're trying to give you every ounce of reputation they, uh, representation that they can over a 10-year period. They're trying to cover all the bases. They're not always so good at it, but they at least they have to acknowledge that it started out with comic book fans in the seats, but now it's not comic book fans. And it's also why when people call my shop now or they, they email me and they're looking for books or whatever, I do this thing called Chef's Choice. I used to just rack my brains trying to get people to buy the newest, hottest books. you know. And I stopped doing that because I realized that these days, what I know about your taste and what I know about your personality is more valuable than getting you to buy the newest Batman book, right? So Chef's Choice is, why don't you tell me what you're into? Give me a budget and I'll build a profile for you and I will fit your budget and your taste together and get you the graphic novels that I think you need versus the newest hottest thing, right? That's kind of how I operate. I knew that Marvel was on to something when my brother hit me up before Endgame. My brother has no interest in this and has never had any interest in this. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm five years younger than my brother. I would often get picked on for my comic book thing. But he's a creative, so he gets it, even though he doesn't get it. Right. And he said to me, he goes, um, look, so this in-game thing is like a big deal, right? And I go, yeah, it's the culmination of 10 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal. He goes, can I walk into this movie without having seen the other movies? I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, you can. You should watch at least one. I, you can do it. <laughs> and so he was like, I'm a, he basically said, I give you a budget of six movies. I'll watch six movies leading up to this one. And I was like, holy shit. Like, if if they got Braxton okay. to, <laughs> to, to buy in on this. They've done a thing. They've done a thing, and they they rule the world. I love what you said, though. Go ahead, go ahead. FOMO. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, he, he was, you're right. Like, he, because I want to say we had the conversation in the barber shop. And and he was just like, so I need to watch this thing, right? This is the thing. I need to watch it. 
I'm like, yes, and here, here's my little list. Go forth and enjoy. And he seemingly enjoyed it. And he's like, I'm glad that I got to be a part of the zeitgeist. Like, every, I got to be a part of the thing. You won't go to another party and have no idea what everyone's talking about and none of these people recount. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Your point about otherism and trying to take that away in building a comic book shop is so, like, spot on where... You know, I've been to a bunch of different comic shops across the country, and you're right. There are those places that do make you feel other. How did you work through trying to make it so that, obviously, when they see you come out from behind the desk, you know, they're going to be like, oh, you know, this this is a different experience than... than- <laughs> I had a... So, so the first thing that I do is it's just a simple, hey, how's it going? Let me know if you need any help with anything, you need any suggestions, you know what I mean? I'm right over here, just hit me up, you know? That's that's how I start, with everyone walking in the door, right? Right. Then there's like, um, they're looking around the shop, and my my first thing that I thought to do in the store was not have any posters of comic book-related things up on my walls. None. I put the product on the walls, but I'm not putting the posters on the wall. I'm not putting the posters in the window. And, and the reason why is, if you go into most comic shops, there are, are two things you, you're gonna catch in posters most of the time, right? And they're, they're both about kind of like uh, idealization, right? You're gonna get Wonder Woman or Catwoman's butt and front at the same time on a poster, right? You get both of these things, right? Or you're gonna get Batman's like 12 pack, right? And it's, it's 0% body fat, you know? And, and the issue here is most people walking in the door aren't that. Real, like deep, deep down comic book fans, comic book collectors, they don't even notice the posters. They don't notice, they walk right past them. The posters could be literally like wanted, FBI wanted posters, their own faces on And they wouldn't notice because they never see those. They walk into a comic shop and they go to exactly what they need to go to, right? And, and what's around them no longer, it never matters because this is a space they just, they don't see it. It's like, you know, having a kid with a dirty bedroom. He doesn't know, he doesn't know his bedroom's dirty. He will never step on those socks or those shoes or that, that old bagel on the floor because his, 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 his feet know exactly where not to land. Right. Right. For him to get to the video games. Everyone else coming in the door, however, they can't help but see it. And it's all they're going to see. Right. Once they see that, once they see the Punishers like like M16 pointed at their heads, right? They're not, the, the chances of having a positive experience at the counter are lessened, right? Once they hear like the, 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 the filthiest, raunchiest hip hop or like the most aggressive extreme death metal coming from the speakers in the store and they've gone past those posters, now they're having, they're gonna have even less of a, in their own minds, a great experience in the shop. So. I have nothing when you're walking in largely other than the name of the shop and the fact that you can see books in the window that would identify this as a comic book shop, right? Third Coast Comics is the name of the store. But you don't need to see posters of comics. You're gonna find comics when you walk inside, right? And so many people who walk in my store are adults who are trying to get into comics or get back into comics or they're coming with their kids, right? Or it's college kids who like, you know, cause I'm on Loyola's campus. So like, I, I get, all varieties. I have customers in their 70s, right? And you're trying to, someone's going to hand you a credit card and drop $75 on three books. 
probably don't need to assault them as they come in the door, right? But the 70-year-old person about to drop 75 bucks is comfortable in the same space as the like, you know, 43-year-old soccer mom, right? Bringing her kids in there on a Saturday morning who the kids are going to buy Sonic the Hedgehog and My Little Pony, but the mom is going to get Sandman. Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Hard to make happen if you, if you go about it like the typical comic shop route, right? Because people, be- people below a certain age aren't really in charge of their own their, their spending. Kids can't control their own spending. So if you drive their parents off, right, they'll just find something else to do. They will take them to Barnes & Noble, right? They'll go someplace else. They'll, they'll, they'll download them onto a tablet. They won't walk into your store. And when they do walk into your store, they won't stay or they won't come back. What you need in this business is people to feel comfortable enough to not only find what they want, but often let you steer them in the way you want them to go. And they have to feel comfortable enough to come back and do it again. You know? So I, I was thinking, like, I had all these different events I would do in the old shop. I would, like, you know, everything to get them in. Like, comic book discussion groups, karaoke, chili cook-offs. And I do this amazing, like, wine and uh, graphic novel seminar. I do a whiskey and graphic novel seminar. I do, I do all these things, right? Because all I wanted to do was to combine my social life, right? with my love of comics, right? If you met me someplace, and did, you, you wouldn't look at me and assume I own a comic shop. Most people, at least they don't, right? You know me, but like a lot of people who meet me don't. So they wouldn't assume that, but they're gonna talk to me about anything and everything. And then when they find out comic shop, now they're trying to match, well, how the hell was this guy? This is a comic book dude? No, I got this, I got a seat, right? Then they come in the shop and I'm sending them out with Why the Last Man or Akira, you know? Like this is how it works. And honestly, I think that like there are some shops in, in this town that have kind of done this pretty well. There's a few, right? But most shops across the country, they, they, they're owned by folks who I think gave up on the idea that you could mix social and comics in a, in a, in a political way, in a, in a sort of a, like a sociological way, like in a community way, you could do these things. It doesn't just have to be a bunch of white boxes of old comics, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, some 15-year-old power fantasy in order to work. What's something that as a business owner you wish you would have known before you started your business? Save more money. Okay. Legit, save more money. And possibly even like the way that I I look at a lot of businesses now, because, you know, I meet a lot of people, right? And I think, man, how does Sometimes folks have this, think about people who own grocery stores, right? People who own grocery stores, a lot of them don't live in the community where the store is. They think, I'm going to put this store right here. But these people need these groceries. They live like 30 miles away, right? Because they haven't attached like anything personal to like where the business is and the business just gets to be a business, right? I thought I knew how much money I needed to start out with, but we never really do. I wish I would have known, save more money, right? Like, and, and, and mad- and a way to manage it better. Because in the beginning, you blow a lot of money, you know, just not quite catching that there's a rhythm to, to, to the way your, your sales you know, your ebbs and flows. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. But like, a lot of it goes back to also how we grew up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't come from a, a, a family full of business owners, right? Full of entrepreneurs, right? I come from a family of folks who, the mission was the, you know, either, you know, go to college, come out, get a good job. You know, the company should take care of you. 
to like, man, really bust your hump and get yourself a city job, right? Like go to the service. Like everybody in my family did that, right? It was it was the service or 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 something else, but you couldn't, there wasn't a lot of people who were just like, I'm just gonna try something literally unique, right? And then do some business model thing where you can like, you could, you could like, you know, uh, tap their brains a little bit for like the ins and outs. Now I have a business community where you can, you know, pick up some of that stuff. There's a lot I didn't know when I started that I thought I knew. There's a lot of research, you know. I mean, I went, that, this is largely what I did when I was at the ball. I was basically researching how to market the nerves, right? But like, when you're on the ground doing it, it's a different story. I might have got a therapist five years sooner than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I love that. That's that's really really perfect. Uh, it it I done different. I, I get it. Like that's something where you're. There's all the unknowns when it comes to any of this stuff when you're branching out and doing your own thing. I, are you are you happy that you did it? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, and especially given that like. When people, I get asked sometimes, like, um, the part of that question about what made you decide to do it, the other side of that is, I grew up thinking I was going to be the next John Byrne, George Perez, right, like Steve Rude. I thought I was going to be an illustrator. My whole focus growing up was that, trying to be the best illustrator I could possibly be because I wanted to draw comics. No one in my neighborhood, like, and all of us, all of us friends, we were all art majors, all of us, like, Half my art class in high school, my major, maybe half of us thought we were going to work in comics. The other half wanted to do fashion design. You know what I mean? Like, but I was a comics dude, and no one thought to open a shop somewhere. No one thought I'm going to, I'm going to be selling infinite, uh, uh, infinite. No one thought that, right? Because why would you think that? You're thinking you're shooting for the moon. Like, I, I wanted to be, a, when, I was, when I was drumming in bands, I thought, hell yeah, maybe I can make this thing happen as a drummer, right? I didn't think to myself, maybe I could own a label. You know, like there's some things that are just they're just far enough away from the goal you thought you had that it doesn't occur to you that it's also an option. You know, maybe I can be an A&R guy versus maybe I can be like, like, like a bass player, guitar player, whatever, right? And there's just ways in which we think about where we're headed when we're growing up. There's some things that, don't occur to us. It didn't occur to me that retailer could be an option, right? Until the day I decided to become a retailer. You know? And as large because I saw a void, right? I saw, uh, had a lot of examples of shops, but a lot of examples of shops that people I was meeting weren't going to, you know? If I put you in charge, whatever house you want to be in, whether it's DC or Marvel or Image or whatever, What's a story that you would want produced for the masses? Oh, mm. okay. So, in a way, there's a couple of different things, right? It, it, from from a DC comic standpoint, I think that there's at this at this point the need to just get it right is so primal, right? But that's really what you want. Because before we even get to like producing the Judas contract for the masses, we have to get the masses to get to the Teen Titans, right? We got to get the masses to get to so much of what we've already seen in television has a lot of that comes from comics and they, they kind of almost got it. 
I love Titan TV show. They did really well kind of adapting parts of Judas contract to their like last season, the season of the show. But then there's like, when I read things like Astro City by uh, Brent Anderson and Kurt Busey, when I read Astro City, I think this is the way the masses need to see superheroes, right? Because it's a way of showing superheroes in their actual lives. When, when Astro City was first proposed by Kurt Busey, he said that it's a superhero universe where you can absolutely have stories like Galactus coming to try to eat the Earth fighting the Fantastic Four or the Infinity Gauntlet, you could have those stories in, in this universe. The difference would be those stories could take place in two paths. Because the book is about the lives of the people in the city filled with superheroes and the heroes themselves. Mm-hmm. You aren't reading, and if you read Astro City, you're not going to get issue after issue after issue of punches and power blasts. Right? You can, you can, you can flash back that part. Right? And everything else is horribly compelling. Or I want to do Black Hammer for the universe of Black Hammer. Have you read Black Hammer? I have not. Okay. I'm assuming you're going to C2E2 this week. No, I've I've got stuff to do, man. I I can't I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hook up with Kyle. Kyle yeah. while he's in town, but uh, I got stuff to do, even with Bad Bears teams. I still gotta cover them. <laughs> <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> this should be a point where you can just tap out. Like, listen, Bears, why don't you just take a second bye week? I got place to be. I just realized, see, too, it, it, it's in it's in December, and normally it's in like March or February. And there Correct. Be oh yeah. All right. This yeah. It's just different. It's just schedule is set. <laughs> it is set, man. It's so it's so crazy. I was talking with someone the other night, and and it's it's like sometimes people don't understand. Like, if, even if you're thinking like holiday stuff, I'm like, yeah, man, I I I gotta watch the Bears on Thanksgiving. The Bears, or I gotta like be you know somewhere nearby. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah, I miss the like like a lot of stuff. Like, sports does that. Like, it's schedule does that where you're thinking like weekends and that's when people are doing their thing and usually when I was covering the Bears like like on the beat yeah I was traveling like right, right. there's gonna yeah. be 10 trips a year that I was taking out of town so it was Friday night or Saturday morning I'm on a plane to go to Tampa you know like like it's it's stuff like that that people don't even think about but it, it's part of it. I don't luckily I don't have to do that part of it anymore but the other stuff you still got to do which is which is definitely a thing. Look, I've already taken too much of your time, but this was so great, man. It's so great. I really appreciate you being so open and honest, and 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 thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. Not a problem at all. I love it. This is fantastic. Man. Do it again. I loved all the music talk in here and him talking about these incredible concerts that he's gone to, these incredible records that – he's he's had like it's just sometimes you you meet people that are that have so many different interests and you're like man how did that person become so cool and terry gann is definitely one of those i i also think that we had some good ideas about how dc could be better 
I really want the people think that I hate DC and I don't. I want them to be better. Like Green Lantern's my guy or the Green Lantern Corps are my people and things and planets. And I want people to enjoy them as much as I enjoy them. And I swear, man, it is it is a struggle to to talk about everything in DC Comics and know that there are plenty of compelling stories that just aren't being told or not being told the right way. And I just want to fix it. That's all. As I said at the beginning of the episode, please support Terry's store. Right there in Rogers Park on Sheridan Road. It's called Third Coast Comics. And he is good at figuring out what it is that you want and you need as a comic book purveyor. So, very simply, just search Third Coast Comics. Be like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. I need help. I want to know what new stuff I should be reading or what old stuff I should go and revisit. He's the type of guest that I'm going to have on again. Because I'm realizing now that there are more questions that I had for him. And sometimes when I get a guest like this, who I, I really know and have hung out with, I some, it sometimes just descends into a conversation instead of kind of the, the Q&A aspect of doing a podcast. So I have more stuff that I want to ask Mr. Gant, and I will because he will be back on the podcast. If you didn't go back and check out the episode, if you're like a comic book fan, you need to go back inside the podcast and scroll down. Through, it was this summer. And check out the interview I did with Cord Scott. I think that you will really enjoy it. Because if, if you're a comic book geek, it's right up your alley. So just search that, House of L. Cord Scott, or scroll through. It was like midsummer, I would say July or August. We're doing so many episodes now, it's crazy. It's good, though. And I've got some more ideas for the upcoming year. Thanks again for your support of this podcast. Go rate it. Please give it five stars. Tell someone who you think might love it about it. Send them a particular episode like the Mark Grody episode or this episode or the Cord Scott episode or the Sarah Spain episode or the Jason Goff episode, the Cheryl Scott. Like, there's a lot of people that have been on this podcast, and we thank them for their support, too. Have a wonderful rest of your day, whatever day it is. And I'll talk to you next time. Peace.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.